time for our children to head out. have a mic pro there it comes all right <laughs> maybe down just a little bit <laughs> our gospel lessons for today are from Luke 12 13 through 21 and then from Mark's gospel 8 uh, 34 through 37 here now God's words for you someone in the crowd said to Jesus Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I'll do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and I will store all my grain and all my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. The things you have prepared, whose will they be then? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. And then from Mark. Jesus called the crowd with the disciples and said to them, If anyone wants to be my follower, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them? to gain the whole world and forfeit their life. Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? This is the word of the Lord. Now, I suppose everybody's heard about this thing we call the law of unintended consequences, where you do something wanting and expecting one result and you end up getting exactly the thing you didn't want. Or maybe you've heard it said a little differently, this idea of confused motives. We think we're doing something for this reason, only to find out that the actions we do gives us, again, exactly the thing we don't want. And so I have a parable for you. Call it a fable, if you will. It's about confused motives. It's about unintended consequences. It's about a fellow named Joe who had one of the finest sheep in the entire country. And all his neighbors were envious. In fact, they were so envious that they decided they were going to come and they were going to steal Joe's sheep. But Joe sees them coming. And so he takes this prize sheep into his house and he takes up his rifle and he begins to defend himself. 
And so at first he shoots out the east window, then he runs across the room and he shoots out the west window. But every time he crosses back and forth, he trips over the lamb. And finally, after falling on his face for about the tenth time, in exasperation, he opens the door and throws the lamb outside into the waiting arms of his enemies. And he continues to fight a battle he's already lost. The law of unintended consequences. Today we continue to talk about stewardship. And I hope we won't end up with a confused purpose, but rather a more complete understanding. And if we can be completely honest, then we have to start by saying that there is a great feeling of reluctance any time we start in the church to talk about money. And you know it's true. Stewardship is so often equated with dollars. And that's a part of stewardship. It's a big part. And most of us feel some sort of reluctance when we hear the appeal for funding. If you're like me, you're inundated with requests. The college, the seminary, they all call or send me letters. The children's homes, the hospitals, feeding the children overseas. How many others do you get? If you've ever, ever given to a political candidate once, you'll never get off the mailing lists. And then you come to church and the church sort of does the same thing. And it becomes overwhelming. A preacher from a tradition, and how am I going to say this? A, a tradition different from our own, <laughs> okay? He's preaching one morning and he gets pretty excited and he says, Brothers and sisters, the church ought to get up and run. And he looks down to a faithful deacon sitting in the front and the deacon says, Let her run, preacher. And he says, Brothers and sisters, the church ought to fly. And the faithful deacon says, Let her fly. And then the preacher starts to meddle and he says, To make the church run... It's going to take money to make the church fly. It's going to take finances. And he looks to his deacon, and his deacon says, let her walk. <laughs> so maybe the best place to talk about stewardship, especially stewardship of possessions, is this reluctance. Anytime money gets mentioned. And sometimes to overcome that reluctance, the church, like other institutions, have turned to sub-Christian ways, unworthy motives to try to get people to give. And one of the most frequent ones is the selfish motive. If you'll give to God, God's going to give back to you. Well, you know, there's a grain of truth in that, isn't there? Because in my experience, giving to God, in whatever way I've given to God, has always been a powerful motivator for me. But I have to say it doesn't usually work out in getting a lot more stuff. It works out in 
getting a lot more of other things. You know, the idea that God makes you prosper because you give, it's not true. And besides, if we give in order to get something back, what kind of giving is that? Those are the worst kind of motives. It's unchristian. And it's a lie to boot. There's something fundamentally wrong with any appeal to stewardship that is designed primarily to raise money. Now, I see one person from finance sitting in here today. Steve, do not throw something at me. Of course, money is important. Everybody knows that. But raising money had better not be the sole purpose of stewardship because if it is, we've got a false motive. We've got a confused purpose. And it makes the church a beggar on the doorstep of the world. Obviously, giving is important to meet the needs of budget and vision. But if we receive all the money we can spend, all the money, and fail to understand the core stewardship, we've lost. We just got a lot of money. Christian stewardship can be down can be boiled down to a simple principle. God's ownership and our partnership. God is the great proprietor. God is, after all, the owner. And we work together with God. We own nothing permanently. Nothing. Because we can't take any of it with us when we go. We hold what we have for however long we live life, and in the end we give an account to God for how we've used it. That's one of the basic truths of the Christian faith, and it's a basic fact of stewardship. The Bible from beginning to end confirms it. In the beginning, God creates. Human beings don't create. The psalmist says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God is the one who made it all. You may have heard this story before. It's a, a story of a New York law firm who is trying to clear title for some property in New Orleans. And so they contact an attorney in New Orleans, and he gathers all the information he can back to 1803 and sends it to New York. And they write back and say, this is not adequate. You have to go back before the Louisiana Purchase. 1803. So after a while, the attorney writes this to his colleagues in New York. Gentlemen, please be advised that in the year 1803, the United States acquired from the territory of Louisiana from the Republic of France by purchase. The Republic of France, having acquired it from the Spanish crown by conquest, the Spanish crown having obtained it from the Native Americans also by conquest and by virtue of the discovery of one Christopher Columbus who was a Genoan sailor who was authorized to embark by Isabella, Queen of Spain, who was sanctioned by the Pope, the Vicar of Christ, Christ being the Son of Almighty God who made Louisiana. That's getting back to basics. 
Jesus said to the fellow in the text I read this morning who had accumulated vast things and built greater barns to hold them. You fool, this night your soul will be required of you and then who is it going to belong to? Because you won't need it anymore. Who's indeed? However proudly we talk about what we have, we know we only have it for a little while and then it'll pass on. Core stewardship really is God is the owner. We're the partner. And in principle, that means that all business, not just church business, belongs to God. Life itself belongs to God. You cannot divorce your faith from your use of your material possessions. It is fiction to believe that the tithe or the 10% belongs to God and everything else belongs to us. No. God gave it all to us. One day is God's day. The other, five, the other six days of the week you can do whatever you want to with. Our house belongs to us and this place, this house belongs to God. No. It's about the attitude we have in the way we use what God has given us. We have completely missed the message of faith if we try to exclude God from any piece of our life. A man who had founded a very successful business always talked about being in partnership with God. And his quote is, it's not how much of my money I give to God, it's how much of God's money I keep for myself. What a refreshing kind of an attitude. And that's what we need so desperately, I think, in the church today. We need to understand that God is in all of our work and in all of our lives. Serving God is not just what the preachers do. Serving God is what you do. Any occupation that is honest and upright, God is in its midst. And God uses you whatever that is. What we're looking for is meaning. Meaning always trumps happiness. Because happiness is very transitory. If I'm happy, I'm basically happy for the moment for whatever it was that made me happy. But meaning gives something better than happiness. It gives joy. And joy outlasts everything else. See, I think it'd make a huge difference if we understood we're partners with God in all this business life whether we're talking about stewardship in the church or whether we're talking about life in general. It's about meaning. It's about connection. These material possessions of ours are not ever meant to be ends in themselves. They're just means. They get us from point A to point B. And it should be obvious to us, and yet we know that that puts us in conflict with society and with the culture around us. The means of life gets all out of proportion to the ends of life. 
And that's a very secular point of view. And moreover, it's a lie. You see, Jesus never, ever condemns wealth. To make money may be as great a gift as any other. But Jesus insists that wealth, however much or however little, is supposed to serve the purpose for which it's intended. And if we become so engrossed in that, that we forget the rest of life, well, Jesus tells us what happens in his parable, doesn't he? What does it profit a person if they gain the whole world and lose that connection to God? According to the church's catechism, our purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. Maybe we don't think about that when we think about stewardship. Maybe that's not what we think about when we think about how we respond to God at this particular time of the year. But it does come down. It's God's ownership, and we're in partner with God. To give is a part of what life is about. Isn't that what we teach our children? Isn't that what we teach our children, that they have the ability to give something away is one of the most powerful things we can have. Why would it be any different for us? And then Jesus reminds us in that second reading from Mark, if we try to save our life by saving everything we can get into our bank accounts, then we've lost it. We have lost everything. But if you give it away, that's when you really find meaning and find life at its depth. If we hoard things, the person it ends up hurting is us. And then Jesus says, if you lose your life for my sake, then you will find it for all eternity. What does it profit if we gain the world and lose ourselves? That's really the story about stewardship. It's about meaning. It's about joy. It's about acknowledging that God is the one who has given to us in the first place. It's not about amount. It's not about us browbeating you to do something you don't want to do. It's about finding God's place in your life and responding accordingly. And that's the best any of us can do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.